listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Gail Loveland Burrell, director of Outdoor Chattanooga. Gail's career is the embodiment of the Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere, Man from Pennsylvania to Vermont to Washington to Utah and to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Gail brings a lifetime of exploring nature to her role of leading outdoor Chattanooga. Gail, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your career path and how it's anything but a straight line, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Well, in my morning cup is usually a strong cup of coffee with a little splash of oat milk. And if I need a little extra that day, then I am going out to the local coffee shop, which part of my requirement of where we lived was we could walk to a local <laughs> coffee shop, and I will have a vanilla latte. Have to have your cup in the morning. I do. Yes. I enjoy my cup in the morning. Good. Well, welcome to my morning cup. You and I met on a trip to, where was it, Fayetteville, Arkansas, or just in that area, northwest Arkansas? As Bentonville. Part of, yeah, Bentonville, as part of the Thrive Regional Initiative. And uh, had a great conversation with you about your career path to outdoor Chattanooga. And it really struck me because there were a lot of similarities with what I'm experiencing with my youngest daughter. And so you grew up in Philadelphia, but you have really an out, what I would consider a non-Philadelphia life. Talk about growing up in Philadelphia and how you got involved with everything nature. Yeah, well, when I was little, Philadelphia area, so for those who are close to Philadelphia, a little time in New Jersey, a little time outside kind of Valley Forge area, and I wouldn't, we were not an outdoor family. We were not camping. That was not who we were. Well, as I told my daughter, the idea of roughing it is poor room service. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it was a couple things that happened in my life. First was sports, and we moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and I had remembered a principal at my school tell my mom, you should get her involved in sports. She's going to do great. My best friend was into theater. I had no singing ability, but I thought that that may be where I should be focusing my time because that's what my girlfriend was doing. But we moved to Philadelphia and I remembered I didn't know anyone. How old were you? I was uh, seventh grade. That's a tough time to move too. We moved from a neighborhood where you could walk across the street to kind of a street where we didn't know anybody. And I thought, team sports, I'm going to have at least you know, 15 to 20 friends <laughs> immediately. I don't know how to play any sport, but I'm signing up. Boy, well, that's a great way to look at that. Yeah. And so I ended up, you know, later in life, I, I was a D1 athlete. I did not join that to challenge myself to be good at sports. I just wanted to meet friends. And later in college, don't know anybody. I was going to the University of Vermont and wasn't an outdoor kid, you know, mm-hmm. I was outdoors in the sense that we had this family farmhouse in Vermont. So I I liked being in the river and playing around outside, but we weren't camping, hiking, any of that. And again, there was an opportunity to do a freshman trip and it was canoeing or hiking. And I thought, well, I don't know, but canoeing sounds easier. (laughs) Little did I know you had to portage the canoe, which for those that don't know, that's carrying that canoe on your back. Uh, And I am a... Five foot two in a bit, and I left being really proud. I met a ton of folks. That's why I signed up again. I got to meet some people. It was my first overnight major camping trip, and I portaged a canoe by myself. And I thought, if I can do that, 
I can do a lot of different things. And I was nervous going into that. It was a whole week long event and I didn't know the folks and we all were friends afterwards. Um, some of my lifetime friends came from those sports teams and those camping opportunities and outdoor opportunities. And I think that's really what brought me into the outdoors. And then once I achieved that with the friends, then I got so much other health and mental uh, wellness benefits and leadership from team sports. So that's that's what's kept me in it. What a great lesson, though, to kind of get out of your comfort zone. You weren't an athlete. You weren't doing it to be an athlete. You were doing it to meet people. And what a great way to look at that and establish friendships and, and build that peer group. Yeah, it has been Still to this day, I mean, I ended up playing sports after college and adult leagues, which is unusual, especially in the sports I was playing, which were field hockey and lacrosse. So you were a D1 athlete in field hockey and lacrosse? Just in field hockey. At that level, I felt like I couldn't do both. But still, that's pretty strong. Yeah. We didn't have the best record if you look up our record, but it, but it, it was at D1 in uh, the New England area. It was a great Again, opportunity. There was another lesson there that came towards the end of my time where uh, I was given the opportunity to be a captain in my senior year. And I said, I think so many, especially women, have this imposter syndrome that says, that's not me. I'm not the leader. I don't, you must be confused. Yeah. And really had a senior leader sit down next to me, you know, on a long bus ride and say, listen, this team needs you and this is what you bring and sort of that mentorship and frankly, just simple encouragement that another woman provided to me to take and step into that role. And that has happened throughout my career where I've been able to have that extra bit of support when I've had that questioning of whether or not I deserve to be in that room. Madison and I were talking a little bit earlier this morning about doors and opportunities, and it sounds like that opportunity was there for you and you needed just a little bit of help to push you through that door to lead that team. Yes, co-lead the team. And and yes, and it was not an easy season, but there was, again, a lot of lessons in there and gave me the confidence to step out into a lot of other things I didn't know. I got to go back and ask you a question about portaging the canoe. In my mind, I'm seeing a long line of people with canoes over their heads, but you said individually you had to carry the canoe. You didn't have to, but I wanted to show that I could do it. And how long is that canoe? Uh-oh. You know what? I don't want to misrepresent where I was. It's been a bit, Mike. It was probably 10 feet long? Maybe not quite, but okay, yes. But still, yeah. for someone 5'2". Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yes, it was a big deal. And that trip uh, was not gender equal in who was there, so there was more guys on that trip and most of them were carrying their own canoe and I thought you know what I want to I want to at least challenge myself that doesn't look easy I want to challenge myself and I can remember balancing it and that it was a hill that's the part I remember most distinctly is I was not sure (laughs) I was gonna be able to keep it straight up the hill Um, but what a sense of accomplishment so as a little kid, did you always push yourself like that, try and do those things, or did that come more along as you grew older? And- I think it really came later, and also with that first way back when I was going into that new school and I didn't know what to do, and I took that chance into sports because somebody else had said, you know, here's something I think you'll be good at, and I heard it. I do believe there's lots of us out there that are given bits of wisdom at different points, and I have a way to be able to retain those and bring them back. 
um, either pieces people have delivered or people themselves. Yeah. I have a, sort of that pocket where, you know, maybe I just met somebody quickly and I thought, ah, there's something there that I need to make sure I reconnect with that individual. And it may be years later and I've, I don't know where I've had the confidence to say, hey, I met you three years ago and we talked about this and I need to learn more about that now. Are you available? And you know what? For the majority of the times, people have always answered yes. That's a great trait to have, to be able to hang on to those little things and bring those back. Because when you say, and everyone said yes, I don't think people understand enough that if you just approach someone and ask for help, 99% of the people are willing to help you if you just ask. Yes, I think that that helped me also in fundraising later. I was in nonprofits for a lot to know that you could ask. And most people wanted to help. And even if they can't fully commit, they will respect that you have asked for their involvement or their expertise. And they'll usually pivot it some way that says, yes, but not now, or yes, but in this limited capacity. Or put you in touch with someone who could help. Yes, Yes, but it's I'm not the right fit. And I think that's really been a great way for me to connect with other mentors and opportunities and take some of those crazy paths I have in my life. Did you find that helped build your network of people by being able to go back to them sometime later and say, hey, I met you two years ago and you said this to me? Yes, 100%. There are some specifics that I remember when I first moved to Utah, I was in a role as CEO. So I came into a small community in Park City, Utah, for folks that know it's a big ski town. I did grow up skiing outside. I will say that part of my family was um, a skiing family. And it was so early and you're trying to meet everyone in the community and it feels overwhelming. And also the organization there was in a bit of a recovery after the recession. So I was trying to focus on that. And again, I had a couple cards and I thought, I don't I don't have the time right now to honor what this relationship could bring, but I'm not going to let that go. And I think sometimes I wondered then, you know, was it inappropriate for me to not respond right away after I'd met them and wait? Uh, But again, you know, I think people really responded when I said, I I was so excited to learn from you. I was not in a position with my time to really honor what you could bring, but I have that now. Are you willing to sit down with me? And that's a great approach, to just be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how that works. Let's talk about your career. You got out of the University of Vermont? Yes, with a business degree. I went into business. My dad was in business. I thought, well, business applies everywhere, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I'll just do business. And just to kind of put a note on that, almost all of us were not pushed into majors, but it's you know, your parents going, well, what are you going to do with graphic arts degree or whatever the thing may be? You need to do business. or Yeah. So I did business. I was able to kind of carve out a niche because I knew I was sort of interested in, by that point, in recreation. And so I carved out a hospitality mm-hmm. niche as a focus. And then um, another key moment, <laughs> I was in class my senior year. And I had all these folks that uh, were in classes with me, all fellow students, and they were interviewing with the PWCs at the time and the Fortune 500 companies. And I just didn't feel like me. Mm-hmm. And there was a professor, a guest professor that came in for a lecture, and he was joking about his kids and, you know, how they had this vision for their career. <laughs> and here they went. They be, I don't know. I think it was ski bums as well. They became ski bums. 
and he couldn't believe it, but then felt like, you know, if you have the opportunity before you have all these other things in your life, take it. And I thought, I just was in a business class and someone essentially gave me permission. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take that and not ask for anyone else's permission, my parents or anybody else's, and I'm going to go have fun before I figure out what's next. So what'd you do? I went out uh, to Frisco, Colorado, and uh, I worked as a ski instructor. Back then, there were a lot of snowboarders coming up, and I didn't know how to snowboard, but they taught you to snowboard and teach in the same season, which was pretty amazing. And then I worked at a pizza joint at night. So essentially, at the children's ski school, you got pizza during lunch, and then I had pizza (laughs) for dinner. (laughs) So you're over pizza. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then I decided I wanted to go live on the West Coast, the same sort of concept. I'll probably come back to that Fortune 500 company and, uh, you know, the Northeast or in the East Coast. And so why don't I just go to the West Coast for a little bit? And I had done some work and volunteer work in leadership positions, too, at the University of Vermont with a thing called Alternative Spring Break, which introduced me to nonprofits and volunteering. So instead of going on spring break to the beach, you volunteered at different nonprofits? Yes. Uh, Well, you took a trip still for spring break, and one was up into the Appalachian Mountains. We went to what was called the Virginia Water Project, helping water get back into homes that did not have water, not get back into, get put into homes. Isn't that incredible in this day and age? It was. Uh, And then one down in Mississippi where we worked with Habitat for Humanity. And they were both very uh, also, you know, transformative experiences in my life. And I thought, well, here, I'll go to the West Coast. I'll work for some nonprofits. Now, when you were going to the West Coast and you were applying to the nonprofit, did your gap year, for, and I'm using the term gap year because that's what everyone calls it now, did that year being in Colorado and being a year-term ski bum, did that come up in a positive or negative way or did they not care? They didn't care. I'm not sure how I reflected it. Mm-hmm. It certainly ended up in my crazy way that I've got to where I am. It did end up helping me with a position in Utah later on in my career. So I started in those nonprofits, Boys and Girls Club. Um, then I moved to working with pediatric patients and families through an organization called Starlight Children's Foundation, where I mostly worked with hospitals. Primarily, all my friends were either playing sports, adult sport leagues, or hiking, biking, kayaking. We were doing all of that. Did you know anyone in Washington when you went there? One person I met in Colorado. (laughs) So did you use the same method of, I've got to find an extracurricular activity and find some friends? I sure did. That's how I ended up doing those adult lacrosse. So I hadn't played lacrosse in college, and I'd actually not played all the way through high school I think the first practice I showed up with my own stick and she was amazed. (laughs) You're starting. (laughs) Yes, yes, it was pretty funny. And so that grew into a team that then grew into uh, the opportunity to be a coach. So I coached for a little while in high school, then asked to join the board for the U.S. Lacrosse chapter. U.S. Lacrosse is a very well-organized nonprofit organization and really supports growing the sport and great principles within that. And as I joined that, board, I sort of challenged the group around the table about two years in. I said, you know, you have in your history, I don't know, probably was 15 years then, not one woman uh, female president. We are supposed to be supporting men and women's lacrosse. And they turned around and said, great. (laughs) Well, when are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) That's the old thing. If you're going to speak up in a meeting, you're going to be 
put in charge of it. Yes. Uh, but another thing where, you know, wait a second, I don't have the same history of lacrosse. Many of those folks had played high levels or had been in many years and had much more experience coaching. Why should I be the leader? And then that sort of reminder of there's a reason why those folks around the table also felt like you could take that role. Did you go back and to that bus ride with your coach saying you need to be the captain? that kind of play into it? I think in different ways, it's always played into it. But sometimes it's that reminder. Oftentimes it's me going again to somebody else to say, I'm not sure I should be applying for this job as a CEO. And then was offered the job and still thinking, I don't know that I deserve to be, am I setting myself up for failure? Uh, And in that conversation, key reminder of that key moment when someone delivered something to me, they said, Gail, you have always been about making a bigger change. Where can you do that? Can you do that here or can you do that there? And I could do that in Utah. So so this is how you got from Washington. You're at the Starlight Foundation, is it? I was at Starlight and then I was doing all these outdoor activities and a friend came to me and said, a friend from sports came to me and said, do you know, if you ever get that email, do you know of anybody who's interested? That means they're also asking you, just for everyone out there, they also want to know if they piqued your interest. You're right. When someone comes to you and says, hey, you got any recommendations, you'd need to think about it yourself because yes. that's why they're coming to you. Yes. And I thought this was a nonprofit that was working with individuals with disabilities. And I had been working at Starlight Children's Foundation with pediatric patients and their families, many of which had disabilities. And it was helping them get outside, a thing I was passionate about. And Back to those ski bum days that we had a ski program there too. So there was an opportunity to do that. And I thought I can work in the ski industry for a nonprofit, being able to impact change and support families feels like a really amazing fit. How about I throw my name in the hat? And so I became uh, the program director there and then the associate director there uh, for the Outdoors for All Foundation. And explain what that is. So it is a nonprofit that provides adaptive recreation for people with disabilities and their families. So oftentimes, the way I would describe those programs would be if REI, because we were in Seattle, if REI does it, um, so did we, but we just provided the specific equipment and expert teaching to help those individuals be successful. So if you wanted to bike, but your body doesn't respond well to a typical bike, mm-hmm. we could provide a, a, an adaptive bike. Now, maybe that's just because you have balance issues. There might be someone with a spinal cord injury who might need a hand cycle. There could be a child with a developmental disability that would benefit from just a three-wheeled, more supported bike. So it's for all physical activities, because I see Park City, Utah, and you think, oh, well, it's all skiing. Yes. No, Park City has lots more than skiing. Um, as a matter of fact, mountain biking is quickly gaining popularity, if not surpassing in some instances, and biking, and it's all things outdoors, too. And how long were you out there? In Seattle, about a decade, and then I went to Utah for about a decade. I've sort of been about a decade everywhere is how I summarize. Are you coming up on a decade in Chattanooga? (laughs) No, I'm just starting my decade, which makes it even more exciting. I've been here just about three years and really thrilled to be here. We had a a child and uh, we're trying to get back closer to family. We've got a little one and I have to tell you, Chattanooga was not on my radar. And here I was loving the outdoors and it just kept popping up and popping up. And then we came to visit and fell in love. And 
I came here for a job with the Southeast Conservation Corps in an organization called Conservation Legacy. That was a departure because I had been in this adaptive recreation world for a good 15 years um, between the Outdoors for All Foundation and the National Ability Center where I went. So the common theme for your career is outdoors and really getting people, whether it's youths or individuals, introduced to something they may not necessarily be comfortable with or able to do. I am passionate about that. Yes. Yes. To make sure that not only introduced, but there are opportunities for that continued engagement. Um, But for sure, I think that first part, that first step into with individuals with disabilities, sometimes it's not that individual, it's their parent. How do I help you feel comfortable that your child is going to be safe in this kayak? And we've provided the adaptive equipment that's going to be successful, and we have the expertise. And now I can show you, once I can get you comfortable with their skills, I can show you as a family how you can do it together. And it is something that the adaptive programs have helped me bring into more programming through Outdoor Chattanooga, which is that patience to say, you know, not everybody wants to learn to kayak right on the water, their first experience. That is scary. It's intimidating, isn't it? In the ski world, they teach you something which is new skill, old slope. If we're going to go in a new place, I'm going to only rely on skills you already have so that you are comfortable. If I'm going to teach you a new skill, we're going to go on something you're already comfortable on. Makes sense. Yes. So if we're not at all comfortable on water, we're going to try and put you in a kayak and tell you how to paddle down a river that's moving. That might be too far. Even hiking, if I don't understand where we're going, I have a lot of questions about whether I'm going to have Simple things like cell phone service. I want to know if I can get a hold of my family. We can take the time to explain equipment, to explain what the needs are, to answer any questions that you have. I love that. Just bring them all to us. We'll talk about how you got to Outdoor Chattanooga, how you got on their radar, and then we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the mission of Outdoor Chattanooga and what you want to accomplish. Uh, When we first came to visit, we're taking the uh, Uber back to the airport and had our Uber driver, we're just chit-chatting, you know, and trying to find out, is this place we want to live? What do you think of Chattanooga? And he said, you know, I'm, it's amazing. I'm working for, you're into the outdoors. That's what he said. You know, I heard you say you're into the outdoors. I'm working for this place called Outdoor Chattanooga. It's amazing. Uh, they hired me, and I didn't know how to do any <laughs> of the programs. But he worked with underserved kids. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's awesome. Outdoor Chattanooga saw that you had that ability, which is really hard to teach, just like working with kids with disabilities. I would do it all the time to teach that connection to those kids and that youth and to help them feel safe and confident and supported. We can teach the skills just like we're teaching to those kids and their families. We can teach the skills of how to do this sport. It is harder to teach that skill of how to work with different populations and how to be that people person that comes naturally to folks. Anyway, so that was always in the back of my head. Th- this mm-hmm. conversation, I thought, gosh, that place out there, Chattanooga sounds really cool. And then came here, COVID <laughs> was very difficult to meet a lot of people during that period. So I, I was missing that. This opportunity came up with outdoor Chattanooga. I thought, I don't know if I deserve to be in that, in that room, but uh, I have never worked for a government before, always nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, but just decided to throw my name in the hat and then had some really good conversations. And I'm so excited to be part of Mayor Kelly's team and our Department of Parks and Outdoors with Scott Martin's leadership. 
I really get behind big visions, and we have a real big vision to be National Park City. Yeah, I heard Scott speak at a Rotary meeting, and he put it an interesting way. We don't want to be a city with parks. We want to be a park with a city. And I found that to be a really interesting way to prioritize parks. Yes. I mean, a whole different way to think about it and how incredible it is to talk about how our different community can connect with our own greenways or other things that could all be visioned as the park first. Also for all the other Mm -hmm. flora and fauna that we share this really unique space and environment. You know, moving back from the desert of Utah, I had missed the green. I had never lived in the southeast before. There is just so much to discover here. From bugs to birds to everything in between. It's a virtual laboratory. Oh, it is amazing. You brought up something earlier I want to touch back on, and I'm going to put it in my words. There are people here, particularly kids, who have grown up here their entire lives, but have never been able to get out of their little four-block area, have not been on a hike, have not been canoe. And that kind of gets to the equity question So how big of a focus is that for Outdoor Chattanooga to get the entire community introduced to the outdoors? It's a primary focus, as is for Department of Parks and Outdoors and as is for the mayor's administration. I think we're doing a lot of work together. We are trying to partner with a lot of organizations. So Outdoor Chattanooga recognizes we have some strengths and that we don't need to be everything to everyone, but we can really support a lot of nonprofits in our community. So We have a ways to go. I just want to be clear on that. There's a lot more work that our community in Outdoor Chattanooga needs to do, in part to support representation in the outdoors so that folks that look like you and look like those kids, that that child can say that person looks like me and they are outside and they are supported. And I think there's also, you know, working with Shawana from H2O Life and Moise and and other folks and just talking about generational impact and There's a lot for me to learn. I'm so thankful. This community, since we've moved here, has been incredibly open to work and to have hard conversations. And I primarily try to be the listener because I I do have a lot to learn. And then just figure out where we can open doors to provide more opportunities. We have an example uh, in Seattle. and We had a young kid who had a spina bifida. We went to see this sport called sled hockey which is ice hockey on sleds. And he just saw this eight-year-old kid's eyes light up. For the first time, he saw somebody like him out there pushing themselves really hard, having an incredible time. And he just turned to his mom and said, that's what I want to do. And then we worked together to find that path. And so I do think when we're talking about equity and inclusion, we have to think about representation as a primary thing so that we can support that and then find pathways to continue the work. And to your point about Chattanooga being a place where it's open and welcoming, I've talked to a number of people about this and had the same experience myself, that there's not a lot of cities that you can move to that basically say, sure, come on in. As long as you're willing to work hard, we want you to do it. Because there are a lot of places you can go where they go, we're fine. From the minute we arrived, we had folks in the community who opened their doors to us We moved our whole family on the job that I had. So my husband had a really great 20-year, well-connected career in Utah. And we came out here without knowing anyone. And I think, yeah, three months later. The leap of faith. 
yes, COVID hit. And <laughs> so the community was fantastic and continues to be. And I uh, love going out to our many events. We're, you know, we're trying to think about all the different trails. How are those trails positioned within our community, especially to communities that have not had access to greenways or trails before? How are we thinking about how we design our parks and our infrastructure to meet that? And being able to listen to those communities, to what their needs are, what their interests are, is really key in order to provide that level of safety and trust to kind of keep moving forward. Got a couple more questions for you. You've talked a bit about mentorship how important that is to you, the networking. Which one of those was the most important thing for you to start with when you got somewhere new or into a new position? I wouldn't say I knew it from the beginning. It took me a while to realize it. But once I did, I have often recognized as I've come into a new position where I feel like I've got some strengths and where where I don't. It's good to admit that and understand that. Yeah, you know the statistics, right? Men will apply for a position if they have 60% of the qualifications. Women will wait till they have 100%. So here we are waiting to apply to these roles until we have 100% of those skills. And in Outdoor Chattanooga is a specific one. You know, I think I brought a lot to the table. There's a lot to learn, especially in how to work through um, government process and community development. And it's really exciting. And then there were also some things that have been rusty so I think recognizing where I need to develop and then finding folks to mentor, including I have regularly said at this point, I need an executive coach. This is new to me. I just need somebody else to bounce some ideas off who will help me. That has been something I have committed to myself, which is oftentimes I think we look at investing in our professional development or education as those very specific. I'm going to go in and get more formal education. And what I have found for me is recognize where my my gaps are, find someone to help me bridge those gaps during that period and say that that financial investment is absolutely worth it for my own personal development, for who I want to be as a person, for the legacy that I want to hopefully leave in the community, that this is the work I need to do to achieve that. And certainly for my professional development as well. It's a great way to go about building your career, but always be learning. And you're learning from someone with experience. Yes. When you take a new job, and you realize that I may not know everything that I need to know in this job, and I see a value in an executive coach. How do you approach that topic with your employer? Or do you approach that topic with your employer of needing an executive coach? Is that something you do through your employer or on your own? Great question. And I think it can be an executive coach. It can be a specific coach for public speaking. It can be a life coach. So any of those. For me, I have been honest. I think... Those folks that hire you want to see you succeed. Mm -hmm. And that's why they hired you. And being vulnerable, and that shows that you have some recognition of, um, again, your strengths and weaknesses. And they probably saw a lot of that too yeah. when in the process. Now you have to recognize what their budget constraints might be or what challenges there might be in figuring that out. And for me in those situations, I have either been an advocate if it can't happen now how do we build that into a future plan? For me, mm -hmm. this is important. And now I have such a history with it. Here I can show you how this has helped me and the organizations I've been with. And then also had that personal commitment that I would financially invest myself. Sometimes that might look like me taking on the entire investment. Sometimes that might look at me saying, I'll meet you partway. Mm -hmm. Can we split this or can you help 
I'll get it going and then can we continue it together once you sort of see that value? It's kind of like almost any professional development in any job. There's certain things that the company will say, we're going to support you on this. And if they don't or are not able to support you on it, it's a personal professional development thing that you're willing to invest yourself in. Yes, and there is value in you not waiting for them to identify what that is. There is a significant value in you coming to say, I know myself. I'm understanding parts of this job. I want to make sure I'm most successful for our team, our organization, our mission, our impact. I think too often we wait for someone else to yeah. come to us and say, here's what I see you need. And that there is value in that. But if we really spend time on developing our own emotional intelligence and understanding who we are, we already know. Yeah. And you said something I think is critically important is anyone that hires you wants you to succeed. The last thing they want to do is go find another person and try and fill a job again. So they want you to succeed. So being able to have that open, honest dialogue, that self-awareness, say, you know, these are my strengths, but I feel I need some help here. I think it's always more well-received than someone perceives it to be. As a manager, those are the folks I want working with me, the folks that say, I know my strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. They are the ones that we can work together to help, again, support what they already know or see in order to help them develop into the strongest person, leader, manager that they want to be. I always saw my role as a manager, yes, to meet the company's objectives, but to help grow the careers of the people who I was working with. Exactly. Last question. Think about talking to your 25-year-old self. What's important for a happy life? Early in my career, I did not recognize the value of relationships and the importance of that and have wished I had seen that earlier. It's interesting in my personal life because we've talked about how important it was for me to meet new people. And so I always did that in my personal life, but my professional life, I didn't recognize that early enough. So to value those relationships equally as amazing individuals that I hoped to watch grow and develop, or I will continue to learn from. That's certainly something that I think for me has been the one thing that at 25, I regularly ask myself, as I sort of just mentioned, kind of what is it you want to be remembered for? I think that's something that a lot of type A's, when you're younger and trying to build your career, you have in your mind that I've got to be hard. I've got to be direct. I can't get bogged down in happy talk or talking about family or those kind of things with people you work with. It's a mission. Yeah. And some of it's baked in, I think, also to the personalities of the mid-Atlantic, Philadelphia, Northeast. I think you kind of have to unlearn some of that and it takes time. Yeah. I guess that's why we all have long lives and long careers. Gail, this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad you're in Chattanooga. I'm so glad I've gotten to know you better. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be at this table and to have had the opportunity to talk today. And I look forward to meeting so many more who are adding to our community. It's an incredible place to be. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.